right, welcome back to the Kaiku Podcast. Chris is with me. Hello. Uh, we're here to talk about, or continuing our Kurosawa series with uh, Throne of Blood. Uh, where's the sick in the chronology? What? We're, what? No, sir. What? We're doing the bad sleep well. The bad sleep well. Like I said, we're doing the bad sleep well. Uh, <laughs> uh, getting my Kurosawa Shakespeare's mixed up. Uh, where is where is this thing in the Kurosawa chronology? Well, after uh, three feudal Japan set films in a row, Throne of Blood, The Lower Depths, and The Hidden Fortress, uh, he returns to a modern-day Japanese uh, setting for The Bad Sleep Well, um, <clears throat> only to return <laughs> to feudal Japan the, the next year with the uh, Yojimbo films. All right, all right. Uh... Oh yeah, this is another uh, Shakespeare loose adaptation. This is a loose adaptation. Uh, I think looser than Throne of Blood. Uh, this, this is this is so loose that that I'm I'm giving side eye to all the think pieces out there talking about it. I'm like, no, no. <laughs> yeah, this one is uh, based off of Hamlet. Uh, I've never read Hamlet uh, as we. Uh, established in the Throne of Blood podcast, but um, Chris, what is the bag sleep well about? Okay, well, jumping straight into spoilers with the one-sentence synopsis from Criterion and IMDb, a vengeful young man marries the daughter of a corrupt industrialist in order to seek justice for his father's suicide. You don't figure that out till an hour and a half or so into the movie. Yep. Um... <laughs> But the, the, the general setup is, is just that. There's a group of capitalist pigs sitting from their, their giant towers in Tokyo lording over the, the wee people, and they're corrupt as fuck. Um, there's this whole police investigation where this uh, – they're called the Public Works uh, Company. I don't know if that means that they actually are like the Public Works part of the government or if it's just the name of their company and a separate construction company called Dairu Construction. There, there's a lot of shady dealings going on there. The cops are, the cops know about it, but the cops are trying to, to prove it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that the film opens with the wedding ceremony reception for um, Nishi, who is played by Toshiro Mifune and the daughter of the vice president of the, the public works company. And during this wedding scene, the cops come and they arrest. His name is Wada. He is like the the the, the lead accountant. I think is the his role in yeah. the in the company. Yeah, he's the uh, main Shawshank guy role in this company. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and as, as it starts going on, you start realizing, oh yeah, there's some really shady things going on. The it's not uh, the cops are going after this construction company it's this huge web of uh conspiracy and embezzlement that uh the 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 through line that keeps punctuating the first hour or so is that one of their their fellow co-conspirators had committed suicide by leaping out of a window um a few years prior Uh, i think like four years before the film takes place um so this is a thread that is like slowly poked through and then it is revealed an hour and a half into the film that toshiro mifune his name is not really nishi that he traded lives with another dude it it, it was an amical agreement 
um, to to become this niche character because his father is the individual who had committed suicide four years prior. But as we've learned through the, the previous hour and a half of the film, it's probably wasn't suicide because the the vice president and the whatever uh, Shimura's character's role is, they're basically, hey, so you're going to go kill yourself now, right? Because we have to protect yeah. the vice president. Yeah, then- um, the movie is like all about protecting the highest echelon of uh, people in this company by the lower level people that know things committing suicide. Yep. Um, so that's that's how we kind of piece that that all together. And it's it's the overall idea is not just uh, Toshiro Mifune's character wanting to get revenge for his father, but he wants to get revenge for his father by completely destroying these other people's lives by exposing their conspiracy. He's not vigilante style going around trying to murder everybody. He's they have not trying failed to the expose. City. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's he's just trying to expose everything um and that is the way that he is going to to take his revenge. Um I don't know, you know, the 50s and before are the biggest blind spot in my cinema history. Uh but this really feels like a precursor to the political thriller. Um, that was abundant in in the 70s here in America with Scorsese and all those other directors mm. just doing that. It, it, it's got the same feel and the same vibe. Who who's backstabbing who? Who is the mole? Who is the you know the double agent? Um, all it, it, it's all about this corruption inside of the company. The, the the upper echelon, as you put it, they're only interested in making money for themselves. Yep. Uh, this this is an America in 2018 where they can do that just by having a company and people will bend over backwards to make you filthy fucking rich. So they have to 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 use some some extra legal back doors to make the extra money that their greedy hearts so desire. Yeah, and this does going. Uh, I don't I don't know too much about this, and this might be presumptive of me, but this does going to. Uh some of this like corporate loyalty in Japan as well being like you work uh, you work for this company so we own you as part of a worker of this company so please commit suicide so this company doesn't go down because you love this company yeah <sighs> yeah that is definitely that is definitely felt here that the only reason a lot of the, the characters make their choices is because oh I'm I'm part I'm a part of this as, as a low dog so I have to take care of the the higher ups yeah. Um, and as you may or may not have caught on, um, dear audience listener, about the, the title of the movie, because it didn't really click well to me until I added, like, a mental comma. Um, the name of the film is The Bad Sleep Well. It's not The Bad Sleep Well. It's The Bad People Sleep Well. It, the, it's the people in this world who are corrupt and evil and willing to fucking destroy people's lives, they're the ones who sleep well at night. Yep. They are the ones who don't care, while it's the rest of us who are, are pursuing some sort of justice, whether it is justice for a, a person in our family like Mifune or uh, justice of, hey, you corrupt assholes need to go down for this. We're the ones that are kept up at night, who are bothered by this, who are trying so tirelessly to make things better meanwhile the bad sleep well yeah i mean that was actually my first reading of it like of course bad people would sleep well 
Yeah. What do they have to worry about? They can just buy their way out of the situation, or I guess make everyone commit suicide their way out of the situation. Because Jesus. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I like or why or how. Because I I've had I bought this DVD years and years and years and years ago, uh, but just my initial reading of the title, it did not click in my brain like that, and I have no idea why. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what you're thinking. I don't know. Uh. So what did you think of this movie? Did you like it? I did. I thought it, I thought it was really good. Um, I had to rewatch the ending this morning because last night um, I had gotten way too tired and was uh, passing out during the last like 30, 40 minutes of the film. Uh, yeah, same. Did I you know have... that this was two and a half hours? I had no clue that this was another no. two and a half hour <laughs> I, movie. I'm always surprised at Kurosawa runtimes. Like, at least I'm prepared for re- rewatching Seven Samurai. <laughs> But, like, when I started this at, uh, it was, like, 8.30 or 9 o'clock, I'm like, surely this won't take forever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I liked it. Um, the, 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 the whole political thriller from the 70s vibe, um, I, I latched onto that pretty, pretty, pretty well. Yeah. Even though it's from 1960. Don't, don't mistake me here. Yeah. Um, I thought that the, the way that they went about telling the story was really unique and interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I read a I read a, a short essay comparing this as like the the antithesis of Ikiru, which actually mm-hmm. does make a whole lot of sense. A lot of the the structure of the film uh, is relatively similar, and it's the complete. It, this is not a celebration of life and what we as as common people can do to make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. It's 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 the opposite. It's the realization that no, the assholes in power are in power because they're assholes and they will fucking ruin it for everybody else. Yeah, I wonder what was going on in like late fifties, uh, very early sixties Japan to prompt Kurosawa to make this. Yeah, that would be really good to know. Yeah, I don't have we I we watched this on both watching on Filmstruck, right? Yeah, because yeah. My, my DVD is in a box. Yeah, uh, I wonder if that, those liner notes have anything. Those criterions are usually pretty comprehensive, uh, mm-hmm. but a lot of them are just like about the film and not necessarily about the situations surrounding the film or inspiring the film. It would be it would be interesting to know because uh, this film, of all of Kurosawa's films, even even Ikiru, this is the one that feels the most most modern. Mm-hmm. Um, in the the way that everybody dresses, the way that everybody lives their lifestyles, the way that the c- corporate structure is set up, uh, they've obviously moved to uh, Western style weddings. Um, yeah, and so that's probably so I, part of like that corporate culture. They're they're more interacting with Western settings as a corporation. Yeah, so there there it feels like there had to have been a pretty stark shift to 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 where his worldview became much more modern. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to, you know, just, what, eight years prior when he made Ikaru, it was modern, but you could tell it was infancy style. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I wonder if that was also, like, eight years uh, before this movie, like 1952, which is just six years or so removed from the end of the war. Uh, so you're just kind of seeing this blossoming Japanese economy at that point, probably. Uh, <laughs> again, I'm like... Uh, up on my historical economics, but uh, that seems about right when Japan would start to blossom uh, rather than be like uh, extremely impoverished from the effects of the war. Um, and now we've gotten uh, eight years after that blossoming, and uh, I guess we're into the the fall if we're going with uh, 
Earth spring rotations, uh, everything's starting to wilt, and you're seeing the the later effects of spring and summer. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Chris, you have to agree with my metaphor more. <laughs> yes, that actually that, that that makes sense. You know, it, nothing nothing gold can last. Yeah. Um. So whatever. Whatever honeymoon Kurosawa was on about the the common folk of Japan when he made Ikaru is definitely dead and gone when yeah. he came back around here. Yeah, and it, this is uh, a more modern Tokyo. Uh, I'm sure some of the skyscrapers are uh, built or in, in the process of being built, and I don't know if old guard Kurosawa is into that. <laughs> yeah, for all we know, he just might reject modernism yeah. as a whole. Uh, but 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 the the points he makes in the Blad Sleepwell, like you're like, holy shit, this is 1960. That's almost 60 years ago, and not a whole lot has changed. People who run corporations are the fucking worst. Yep. Well, so apparently I was on mute for part of that sentence. So this is I don't know what I was saying, but basically, um, it's not an American problem or a Japanese problem. It's a, it's a it's a corporation problem that the people who who run these companies that. Greed is their sole motivating factor, and the way that society fosters that is it's pretty universal. Um, and that's what the the film really seems to be taking a dig at is this new corporate structure, this new corporate mindset. It's not small companies, you know, helping everybody out, trying to make the our lives good. It's a single like giant entity, and the people at top only care for themselves. It's a big shift. Yeah. Um, it's a big shift, and you can see that that shift in Kurosawa's other films. He was prepared for it in Ikiru, but that was more about like bureaucracy and like just the bullshit you have to go through to get anything done in a bureaucracy to mm-hmm. open disdain. No, the people on top are forcing it this way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, I thought it was very. I thought it was very, very, a uh, very good movie. Um, I didn't. It doesn't it doesn't rank very high for me, but I'd have to sit down with it again because I did fall asleep and have to just rewatch the ending this morning. Uh, um. Yep, I also did that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I wasn't able to rewatch the ending. I just kind of read the Wikipedia summary, oh. <laughs> uh, but I got the gist. Um, it is very deliberative and uh, uh, intentional in like it's, it's pacing. It's very. It feels very slow, but it's also moving at a quick pace, which is very contradictory and confusing the way that I said it just now. Um, but, like, you don't learn a lot of why Nishi is doing this. You just kind of see that he is doing it, and even that takes, like, 45 minutes to an hour to see that he's doing it at all. Yep. Uh, and that first wedding scene, it takes, like, 20 minutes for Mufune to even speak, and he's the main character. Uh so you know what kind of thing Kurosawa is trying to set up. Like he's he's setting up these uh, villains goings on before setting up the the hero, uh, and then ultimately destroying his life, I guess. And yeah, it's it, a it, dire it's film. Really, yeah, it is. It's really uh, really pessimistic because <laughs> it really feels like Mifune that that his character is going to succeed because he's got all he's playing all of his cards right. He, he's doing everything in the best way possible. It kind of goes to shit really quick when um, Shimura's character sees a photograph of him at the one dude's funeral from four years prior, and he mm-hmm. connects all the dots. Um, but even after like he becomes on goes on the run, 
he still has his shit together. He's kidnapping the right people and torturing them to the point where they tell tell him what he wants to know, and then he dies off screen. Um, and, and and all of a sudden you're just like, well, well, fuck, because it was just one simple mistake. Uh, the the woman that that Nishi married, who is the daughter of the vice president, mm-hmm. they he actually they actually grew to have real feelings between each other. Uh, but Nishi is he's very distant, like they never consummated their marriage um, because he knows what he's doing is not fair to her, that he's exploiting and using her. Uh, but they do start to have some kind of real feelings. And then her father exploits her feelings and off screen goes off and, and gets him killed, yeah. um, which is exactly, you know, yeah, no, that makes sense. Like it's none of it is like bad bad storytelling or, or poor screenwriting it's like no this is this it's it's a very harsh yeah. uh reality of how these things can turn out um because because the film really felt like it was driving towards um Mifune's character succeeding whether it ended badly for him or not he would at least succeed yeah. and he couldn't even do that in the end um like that, that shit's pretty rough yep and and and, and and you see that it is built up that way because we know the bad guys first. Yep. Like you're saying. <sighs> well, the bad guys sleep well. Sons of bitches. Well, I, I didn't I didn't I didn't get a lot of sleep last night, quote unquote, because I was you know off killing somebody. But you know, um, I'll try and get some sleep tonight. Like that's the last line in the movie. He's like, I forgot what was night and what was day because yeah. I, I didn't sleep all night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess Chris, I was message in this film is just like the corporations are always going to win. And the the one thing that I thought was really interesting, you fell asleep and didn't get back to watching it, so I don't know if it was in the Wikipedia summary, mm-hmm. but the very last scene where you know the vice president's all you know I didn't sleep very well last night, but I'll I'll give it I'll give it a shot tonight. It also is is a final reveal because you feel the the whole time that the vice president is the one behind the conspiracies and the embezzling because uh, Shimura's character, no, I don't think it was Shimura's character, one of the people from the construction company, they, they're having a meeting together when one of the, the other conspirators goes crazy because Mifune's fucking with him uh, really hard. Um, they, they say outright, this was your idea, um, pointing at the, voice, at the vice president. You know, this was your idea. And then in that last scene, he's talking to the president of the company, and he's like, don't worry, I took care of everything. I know it was a little bit hairy there, but I got it. Don't worry. And so you realize it's like he wasn't the mastermind behind it. You don't even know who the president is, yeah. and it all is floating up to the top. I mean, that's um, the way it always goes, isn't it? Yeah. Like that was. I thought that was really cool because usually you know, you'll see – how how deep the conspiracy goes, uh, but they they keep that concealed all the way yep. until the final minute of the film. Yep. Uh, this, this is a very bleak. This is yeah. a very bleak ass film. I need the stray <laughs> dog crew on this case. <laughs> all right. Um. Well, any uh, any closing talks on this one? Um. I always like because of where this film comes out in his filmography. It, it really does feel like this is one that gets ignored quite a bit. Um, I Live in Fear, he did after Seven Samurai, and that was definitely a lesser film. 
you know that's why it was just shoved on a multi-film box set Mm -hmm. uh but but everything surrounding this movie are such big deals that this one it, it 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 gets swallowed up and after finally sitting down and watching it that that's pretty unfair um i think i think what kurosawa does here is really worthy of note especially if it pans out that this is really the precursor for the 70s political thriller like this is the genesis like that would be really something to to find out yeah i mean Um, he already invented buddy cop movies why can't he do that exactly right (laughs) um so if if anyone's watching kurosawa's films and you're faced with this massive major section in his filmography the Bad Sleep Well, I, it's not one that I think that should just be like, oh, well, I'll skip that one because obviously it's not Yojimbo or The Hidden Fortress or whatever. Um, this was really good. And uh, if people have been avoiding it for some reason, I think it's really worth a watch, especially in that political thriller genre context. Yeah. Yeah, this is definitely not skippable. And it's a, a huge, or it feels like a huge departure from the kind of themes that Kurosawa usually deals with. Uh, perhaps with the exception of his like immediate post-war films, it kind of had this very uh, dour emotion going on throughout the entire thing. Though those were still about the uh, the optimism of humanity, whereas this is not exactly about that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think this is definitely worth a watch, especially if you're into Kurosawa's other movies. Just, just seeing his take on uh the pessimism of of humans yeah it's not it's not a minor film that's worth it i think this is a pretty pretty big deal film yeah Uh, it just gets it just gets overshadowed because holy shit this time period in his career (laughs) yeah all right with that let's uh take a break and uh talk about anime on the other side you betcha We are back. Chris is still with me. Howdy ho. And we're here to talk about the Kuroko's basketball manga. All of it. Yay. Uh, <laughs> I don't think we previously talked about Kuroko's basketball yet on this podcast, besides the movie. We, we did. Um, we talked about the first volume um, yes. a few, few years ago when the first volume of this, Haikyuu, and uh, Yoamushi Pedal came out. We talked about the first volumes of all those. I remember that now. That was another one that we just threw together at the last minute. This was the other three days ago. Just, it, that's, uh, that's, manga is our fallback when we have nothing else to do yeah, because as, anime takes time. Yeah, as context. Uh, and both of us have uh, recently or somewhat recently finished Kuroko's Basketball. The manga, the last volume, uh, was just released a couple months ago? Couple, December. December, okay. So seven it came months out, ago now. It came out like three days before the movie came out. I mentioned that in the movie pod. Oh, nice. All right, so if you want to go back and listen to those episodes, episode 25 is our Kuroko's Yoapaga and Haikyuu episode. And episode uh, 58 is our Kuroko's Basketball Last Game episode. Uh, and I said that we were ending Kuroko's then, but I guess we're re-ending it now. I don't know. Uh, we might re-re-end it because uh, we can cover the anime, which I'm sure we'll get to in the podcast, I still think is worth uh, worthy of merit. Yep. 
Yeah, I... Well, let's get to that later. Uh, Chris, what is Kroko's Basketball about? Okay, um, if you haven't listened to the previous podcast, or if you have, um, I'm going to tell it to you again. So Kroko's Basketball is about... Uh, oh, what is the name of the... Sayrin. Sayrin. <laughs> so Sayrin High School, they um, just formed a basketball team the year previous. Um so now it's the next year. The people who started the basketball team are second years, and we get two new first years that join the team: Tagami and Kuroko. Uh, Tagami is Kagami. basically, huh? Kagami. Oops. <laughs> Who's Tagami? I don't know. Nobody. Watch. <laughs> uh, Kagami and Kuroko. So Kagami is basically like this basketball hotshot. He used to live in America. He's like 30 feet tall it looks like <laughs> um and he can slam dunk from the uh, free throw line so six foot three six foot three and kuroko um he uh doesn't exist actually he's a ghost he's a super spirit um no just kidding <laughs> everybody thinks he's a ghost he is a, a one of those type of people who has very little presence he's very quiet soft-spoken blends into the background um, so nobody really notices him and it's only when he starts playing with kagami that the other members of the team realize holy shit kuroko he may not be the best basketball in the play player in the world but he has a very unique talent that is able to make the rest of their team better Essentially, at the start of the series, he's merely a passing expert because of his reduced presence and the fact that nobody really notices him. He is able to use misdirection. Um, he learns it from trying to study magic tricks um, so that he diverts the attention of the uh, players on the other team somewhere else. And he essentially vanishes. And this allows him to show up somewhere random on the court and can uh, change the direction of a pass. So say someone is throwing a pass from one corner to uh, center court, he can pop up out of nowhere in between that and and uh, change the pass to directly under the basket for someone to do a layup or, or a dunk. Um, that's essentially how his superpower works. Um, what we find out later is that Kuroko was actually the uh, shadow mysterious fifth man i can't remember the phrase sixth they man. used anymore six man um they use like a uh, mysterious shadow six man ghost six yeah. man i forget i, I done plum forgot already it's embarrassing um but anyway taiku uh taiko middle school was taiko. uh taiko was this super prestigious middle school where the basketball team always won um but what had happened a couple of years prior was this new crop of kids had come into the middle school and became known as the generation of miracles these five kids like it's just embarrassing how good they are like it's psychotic like no human being should be as good at basketball as they are and that's why they get called the generation of miracles phantom six man that's what they call them <laughs> um, and kuroko was the phantom six man on that Team. He, he never got any of the fame or fortune, and people don't really uh, know about him, but he was a, a critical member in the success of uh, the Taiko Middle School team. So the, the f other five members of, the ta of Taiko Middle School, they all go to different high schools. So essentially we have six high school teams where each of the six members of this Generation of Miracles now attend. 
And the crux of the series is Seiren wants to be the best basketball team in Japan, which simply means they have to win nationals. Just like in, in baseball, you know, you get to Koshian, you win Koshian, you're the best team in Japan. That's, that's essentially their goal. Um, but standing in their way are these, um, not just, you know, the 20 or 30 schools across Japan, but specifically these, these five other high schools that each have one of the fabled uh, Miracle Generation members. Um, <clears throat> let me bring up the list because I don't want to yeah. screw it up. Because I've been uh, screwing yeah, up I the names all day today. <laughs> I got you here. I can do this one. Okay. Uh, so Kaijo is the one with, or the high school with Kisei. And then... And Kisei's um, ability is he's basically a copy master. Any move that anybody does, he can view it once and then magically be able to reproduce it as if it was originally his move. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's see, Shutoku is Midorima's uh, high school? Yep, and Midorima, his his superpower is uh, he can shoot three-pointers uh, from anywhere, and the way he shoots them is he basically launches them directly up in the air, so they have this insanely large arc, which makes them... Um, you can't defend against it. So once he launches the the ball, it goes so high up into the air that there's nothing you can do but sit there and watch it swish into the net because mm-hmm. he's that good. And not only can you not defend against it, it's that uh, you have to be on the rim on the off chance that it will not go in. Of course it will not. It will never not go in. And also his team is so sure that it will go in that they're already back on defense by the time the ball goes. Yep. All around bag for the other team. Uh, <laughs> uh Toho Academy is Almine's. Yeah, so Almine, his his superpower is basically he's um, LeBron James. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's just he's really fast. He's really swift. Um, he does he can do these uh, shots where he jumps backwards, but it's not just a normal fadeaway. Like dude is ninety degrees. Like he's able to jump and turn ninety degrees, so it looks like he's laying on his back when he releases the ball, which makes that um, very difficult to defend against. Um, he's so fast, he's able to uh, cross and counter very easily. Uh, he does a shot where he can shoot from behind the rim without looking. Um, he, he's one of those guys who swivels the ball around him like 18 million times while he's in the air, uh, can change position. <laughs> he's just very limber, um, and he, his... His moves appear to defy physics. Yep. Uh, let's see. Yosen is Murasaki Bara's. Murasaki Bara is basically six foot eight and just stands in front of the rim and can smack anything you throw up at him. That's that's it. He's just he's he's a monster wall uh, that you he is six foot ten. He, yeah, he's the ultimate defense. Like you try to dunk or shoot, he's just standing in front of the net, lifts up his hands like Psh, bitch. He doesn't even have to jump. He's so yep. big. Then uh, their captain, Ag- uh, Teiko, and the point guard from Rakuzan now is Akashi. So Akashi is really interesting. Um, I'm going to talk about some of the other players that are in the series first, because uh, the way that they introduced Akashi and his superpower um, really plays into how the series plays out. So um, this is where some editing can happen here, because I need to find his name. Um, so on Seiren's team, um, there's a, a player called Izuki. He has um, his special skill is called the the eagle eye, 
So essentially, it's even though he's just a normal human being on the ground with everybody else, his um, periphery vision allows him to see um, across the court as if he was an eagle flying overhead. So that's why it's called the eagle eye. So it basically, uh, he, he gets a wider field of vision so he can fake out the other opponents because he knows um, more, he, he knows better how other players on the team are moving and where to find openings to pass or to shoot. Um, this is enhanced further in the series. Um, I believe he's on, is, is he on Shutoku's team? Yep, he's on Shutoku. His name is Takao. Okay, and he's got the Hawkeye, which is basically the eagle eye, but a little bit better because I guess hawks are, are better than eagles. Um, <laughs> I don't know how it works. I, I don't either. I just went <laughs> with it. Yeah, <laughs> it's essentially the exact same superpower, um, just a little bit better. So Izuki has to, you know, strive and push himself to improve his eagle eye. So then you get to uh, Akashi, who his superpower is the Emperor Eye. Um, the Emperor Eye is the exact same thing as the Eagle Eye and the Hawkeye, but his vision is, for better or worse, uh, the way that it's explained, is so good he can actually predict movements instead of being able to have the wider range of vision where they can see how everybody on the on the uh, court is behaving and, and use that to their advantage. The emperor actually allows him to study the muscle movements of the players on the court so he can predict their next move and allow him to uh, basically get the jump on them by predicting two or three steps ahead he can throw some kind of counter and then it catches the other person off guard because they're like, holy fuck, what happened there? And it's visually uh, shown a lot in the series by the use of ankle breakers. Uh, like it, it looks like Akashi just uses the force or something and just pushes <laughs> people over. Um, and it's just because he moves in a way that anticipates their movement. It trips them up and they fall down. Um, they call them ankle breakers. Yep. <clears throat> uh, so say? that's... That's the main crew and all their superpowers. <laughs> yep. They also, uh, if you are versed in Japanese, uh, each of their names, the Generation of Miracles names, has a color uh, associated with it, which is also their hair color. Kisei, ki, it means yellow. Uh, Midorima, Midori is green. Aomine, Ao is blue. Murasaki, Vara, Murasaki is purple. Akashi, Aka is red. Kuroko, Kuro is black. And uh, even Momoi, the uh, the manager of now um, now Toho, yep, yeah, I mean his team Toho, uh, but former manager of Takeo, Momo means pink, so it's a lot of colors going around in this series. Yes, it's very it's a very colorful series, but which is it's it's kind of funny because um, the manga is black and white. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we are yeah. specifically talking about the manga today, so um, we'll reference the anime, but we're I'm gonna really try to. Yeah. Focus. <laughs> we get some, uh, or we get the color uh, covers next day for the manga. Um, so let's, uh, since we are talking about the manga, let's get into the art first. What do you think of the art? Um, so, like I had mentioned when we covered the first volume, I was really taken back by the by the artwork because I had watched the entire anime series, all like seventy five episodes. Um, and when we got the the first volume of the manga, the the artwork was. It wasn't very. It wasn't messy like Yawapeta's art, 
it just it looked very simple. Um, yeah. Like like some of the the characters, I couldn't even barely recognize them. They the 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 lines on their face, the the shape of their uh, jaws and everything. It was just so loose um, that it, it looked very simplistic. I I want to say. At least, at, at most, maybe by volume seven or eight, um, the the artwork had um, you could see the author Tadatoshi Fujimaki, Fujimaki, his artwork was continuing to improve. And by like volume seven or eight, I completely wasn't even noticing um, the art being simpler or not as uh, <clears throat> well defined or anything he, he really ramped it up by the end of the series it looked like you were watching the anime yep. um so i i think that's really interesting to be able to watch an artist grow over the course of the series as opposed to where the anime was essentially uh peak character design and, and art style from the middle to the last half of the of the manga um watching the author evolve i think is really cool and it's one of the things i love about jojo's um, <laughs> like holy shit! What, you have I don't think you've seen pictures from JoJo. No, now. no. I'm reading the Jojonium ones too. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I I grew to really like it, and I had gone back and read some of the earlier volumes a couple more times, just because every time I read Kurokos, I want to watch Kurokos, so I watch like two or three episodes, and then I p- pull up the <laughs> <laughs> then I pull up the volume that I just watch, and I just I get obsessed with this series. Um. It's an easy series to get obsessed over. It is. Um, and, and the artwork, even when it was uh, simplistic, there was something about it that really, just really pulled me in. I I absolutely adore it from its beginnings to its ends. I think the art is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I have the same feelings as you did. Um, it's kind of rough in the beginning. I really had a little trouble recognizing the characters, uh, or at least differentiating be- between the characters. I think I could recognize the characters. Uh, I don't know, that was a long time ago. Um, <laughs> I certainly didn't have the, the same problems that I had recognizing them with Yoopeta. Which Yoopeta got really great, yeah. too. That's another series that, as the manga went on, you're just like, wow! Yeah. I'm, lo- I'm just scrolling through uh, the Seguin roster, and like all of their hairstyles are pretty much the same or similar, just different lengths, uh, maybe slightly different parts in their hair. Um, yeah. So in black and white, that just makes it even more difficult. But you know, as you said, by seven eight, uh, I no longer, I never had any issues. And even when they're like, they're all sweaty, wearing the same uniform, just different numbers, I didn't really uh, wonder who was who. Let's talk about that detail on the sweat. Holy <laughs> smokes! Like that is that is some serious sweat action that this author draws. Um, yeah, if you're in a sweat, read this. <laughs> yeah, if you've got a sweat fetish, like oh boy, I mean, it's really there's a lot of sweat, and he draws it very well. So I mean, and it adds it adds a lot to the mm-hmm. feeling and the vibe of the story. I mean, it makes it I, I wouldn't say more realistic, but it just you can feel the how hard the characters are working um it, you can really just get into it and the and the the detail and the sweat helps with that i believe yeah like you can you obviously are not tired because you're sitting there reading a book but you have the feeling of tiredness just looking at it and seeing how much they are sweating and uh working to win a basketball game yeah, towards the end of like most of the games, they just look like they were rolling around in oil and grease or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, but s- since we are talking about the artwork, um, 
I had mentioned when we talked about the first volume how those opening volumes, um, even in the anime, they, it really wasn't that wild or crazy with the uh, with the basketball shots and stuff. Uh, but as the anime progressed, like oh my god, that the anime is gorgeous. Like you, the way that you, the way that it shows Almine doing his super um, super ninjutsu <laughs> basketball, if you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, the way the way that it shows when the characters get into the zone, um, it, it was always really stark, um, starkly interesting in the anime. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when you get to the end of the anime um, during the final game against Akashi's team, um, they, they do this thing called the team zone, where like the whole team goes into the zone at the same time, and that's like one of the coolest. You know, Sakuga animation things mm-hmm. I've ever I adore it to bits. Those backgrounds uh, were just amazing. Oh man, and the way the camera was moving around, just whoo, yep. that is a thing. Um, and so I I had expressed interest to seeing how the manga, um, when it starts getting more crazy and intense like that, how it was going to look in in the manga. And I think it's really interesting that all of those embellishments that make all the moves look so crazy and like the team zone, that's all anime original baby. Mm-hmm. Um, in the manga, it just looks like people are playing basketball. It, it doesn't get crazy with the cheese was that, that, that super amazing team zone um, from the end of the series. They, it happens in the manga, but it's just everybody's in the zone and they're playing the game. So you get wrapped up into it uh, in a more realistic level. It was, it was entirely a creation of the anime to add laser lights and have them enter the Tron universe with the camera <laughs> swiveling on 360. Yeah. Like, um, which is really cool. So that's kind of what I had mentioned earlier that, you know, it would, I think it would still have value for us to revisit Kuroko's again and actually talk about the anime because, yep. All those visual styles that, that, like, I think Jared basically stopped watching Kuroko somewhere through um, because, you know, it's basically Dragon Ball Z basketball. All of those embellishments, anime only. Um, mm-hmm. This is just hardcore basketball playing. Yes, they still have the the crazy powers, but it's not. it doesn't look like superpower in the manga. It just looks like, nah, Midorima is just crazy good at three-pointers. Mm-hmm. Um, Akashi is really good at ankle breakers. Um, they just show like little squiggly lines for the zone, which basically, when you're reading the manga, I envision that as they're in the zone, so they're moving so smoothly that it just looks like motion blur, and that's what the the lightning from the eyes is. In the anime, no, it, it looks like they're shooting shit out of their eyes. It's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's awesome. What did you What did you think about that? I was really surprised when I got to the end, and I was like, "Holy shit! It never went wild." About what? Um, about the the difference in the anime and the manga with the the art oh yeah, yeah um i mean i really like the anime obviously uh we have well i guess that's not obvious we've never talked about it before but <laughs> uh I, the anime is what got me into kuroko's at all and i don't think i would be as into kuroko's without the anime just because of the embellishments of the anime like it makes it look so much more dynamic than the manga looks and um usually i'm all for just read the manga because it's way faster but like you're definitely losing something by not watching the anime of kuroko's hard agree like if i if if we had only gotten the if we had gotten the manga when it was first coming out 
I really have a feeling that I still would have really loved it and gotten kind of obsessed by it. Mm-hmm. But no, the the anime just like that is what made me like scream about Kurokos to everybody that I could possibly find. That thing made me a diehard fan, and it's only because of the way that the 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 visual style that the anime added that really did it for me. Yep. Yeah. And because of that, I'm able to, to read the manga, and even though, and, and I just get so wrapped up in it because I already have prior investment. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, it's such a intense. Like it sounds so weird, but like I really did have like these super intense experiences reading the manga. These things are two for one fucking omnibuses, four hundred <laughs> pages. Some of these volumes I read inside of like twenty minutes. I was just like, <laughs> yeah, it makes you want to just uh, read the entire thing and never stop reading um you mentioned i I wouldn't be a super fan just like you said if it wasn't for what the anime added yeah yeah you mentioned earlier um like the the anime didn't immediately start this uh his own thing it didn't immediately start looking very basketball-y very uh dragon ball z basketball-y um and that is because they didn't really go into the zone and they didn't really face anybody with those kind of skills until episode 15, uh, that's the first time they face off against Aomine, mm-hmm. uh, chapter 42, for reference for the manga, about the manga. Um, that's, that's about volume 4. Yep. And we, uh, uh, not we, the royal we, get the, get the question that, uh, for these long-running shonen, where am I really going to get into this? And I wouldn't say necessarily this, uh, this Toho versus Seirin match, uh, because the first big match that they, that I got really excited about was actually the practice match, uh, Seirin versus Ke- Kaijo, where they fought against Kisei, fought like they were fighting with their hands, they played against Kisei, uh, which was fortunately chapter 4 of the manga, episode 2 of the anime, so um, for those yeah, of you no. wanting to get into Kurokos, it's pretty quick. Yeah, th- this is not like long-running shonen where you're like One Piece, it- get to Arlong Park, episode 36, you'll be a fan for life. No, like, Kuroko's is really fast. It hooked me. Like, I didn't watch I didn't watch it when the first season had aired. Um, I started watching it, like, a week or two before the second season was getting ready to air. And by episode three, I, I just laid in bed, and I was just mm-hmm. staring at my phone for, like, the next five hours. <laughs> uh, like, it, it, it sucks you in immediately. It's good immediately. It just yep. gets better yeah as it goes on and i think i jumped in like halfway through the second season or something and i just watched all of those episodes in probably a couple days just very easy to marathon very easy to watch um even for a sports series like i can watch i just watched uh what was it <laughs> cinderella nine in two days uh, half of cinderella nine in two days most of it uh in one day and that was very easy to marathon but like this one i would be compelled to watch the next episode for reasons besides having to do a podcast on it like it's just very uh very good tv it is you know i I, I do not recommend this to anybody because the opening and ending themes for kuroko's are amazing so you should never ever skip them but if you removed all the openings and endings and just like said you know here's a three-hour movie and it's like 10 episodes you know like do a whole mini arc as one movie you would not feel that time going by at all. It's just mm-hmm. bam, 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 and it's so enjoyable and involving. Yep. Um, but since it's not presented that way, you should watch all the openings and endings because <laughs> they're amazing. Yep. 
Yeah. So I don't want to be talking about this for three hours, though I suppose we could. Um, we definitely could, but let's get back to the manga. What was your next yep. question? So the manga, uh, I do have just a couple questions for you and for me once you answer them. Uh, <laughs> it's for us. <laughs> uh, so who is... There's a lot of characters in this. Who is your favorite character? I remember you uh, squirming about this on Twitter. Like, did you come to a conclusion? Do you have a favorite character, a favorite generation of Miracle? A favorite uh, person that is not in the generation of Miracle? So, um, I was squirming a bit because on the on the Twitter, it was only the Miracle generation and Kagami. And wh- whoever the dude is with Urasaki Bara, the guy who Kagami played with in America. I can't remember what his name was. Um, and that's very difficult for me because, like, I'm pretty sure Almine is my favorite. He has the most interesting uh, character arc of all the, the Miracle Generation, in my opinion. Um, I really love the way that the author uh, developed his character. And even he, he's one of the few uh, Miracle Generation players that Seirene plays multiple times. Mm-hmm. And. The way that they're able to, the, the way that he was able to deepen his character across both of these games um, and outside of the games, I was just absolutely fascinated with. I really love Almine. Um, Midorima is really cool. Um, his whole obsession with the the <laughs> the God, what is that? the astrological? Yeah. What is, what is that word? Horoscope. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, his obsession with the horoscope and the lucky items of the day. I mean, it's very fun, and he very quickly becomes more of a, a gentle character. So when you see him throughout season two and season three, he just feels like a really good friend. And so that's why I love Midorima. Um, and then, of course, the main character, Kagami and Kuroko, they're just so exceptional. Um, but it, so if I narrow it down to just the five Miracle Generation, I'm pretty sure I have to go with Almine. Yep. Yeah. Same. If, if I go outside of that, that includes any other character. I mean, Huga, the captain of Seirene, is basically like number two at the worst. Um, I love Huga. Um, I really love uh, Kagami, and I really love uh, Tepe. My remember, remembering his name right? Yep. <laughs> Okay. Got that <laughs> <Kiyoshi>. one. Tepe. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, the, the, those three from Seiren are, they're just absolute joys. I mean, I love Kuroko, um, but it's really fascinating how Kuroko, it's Kuroko's basketball. It's the basketball that Kuroko plays, but he's really not the main character. He mm-hmm. is a, he's a supporting character who enables everyone around him to be the best they can be, which is exactly his role as a basketball player. That's what he does on the court. That's where he shines. Um, And that's a really fascinating aspect for me. Um, And I love him to bits for it, but because he is the shadow that makes the light all the more stronger, I can't help but like the lights better. Um, it's, It's just really weird. But yeah, no, Hugo Tepe... Kagami, I just love Team Seirin so much. Um, I couldn't have asked for a better <laughs> protagonist team. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you call it. Uh, I mean, the, the uh, Japanese title is the basketball that Kuroko plays, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we we got translated as Kuroko's basketball, which makes much more sense, uh, but doesn't convey quite the same meaning because, as you said, Kuroko is uh, almost bending everybody from the Miracle Generation to his will to uh, play the basketball 
the way that Kuroko does and not the way that everybody else does. Uh, and you, as you also mentioned, Midorima becomes this kind of uh, gentle giant friend to Seirin. Uh, like he's helping him out a couple times in training camps. Um, but besides that, they don't really... I mean, they face off quite a few times against them, but it's never really as intense as that first time. I don't mm-hmm. think, or maybe for the first and second time. Um, that's just because he's already been banked after the first time to Kuroko's will. He's playing Kuroko's basketball. He started passing the ball, which he never did before. Uh, and like you saw that arc very early on, so he didn't really have much to do besides be this crazy shoot, three-point shooter. Yeah. <laughs> he, he gets crazier in the second game, but it really feels like a, a really good playful match between friendly rivals as opposed to Midorima, you're still an asshole. I must fix you and show mm-hmm. you that friendship and teamwork is the best way to play. Right. It's, it's, it's none of that. It's just, I'll kick your ass this time. They're like, bring it, motherfuckers. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And each had their moment. Each of the generation of miracles has their moment where they, uh, bend to Kuroko's will and play the way that Kuroko wants them to play, which is a good way of playing basketball. Like, um, depending on teammates instead of just taking the ball for yourself and uh, doing whatever you can like, to win the game which is usually the case for the generation of miracles but mm, that's not always going to be the case and it shouldn't always be the case ever exactly yeah very well said good sir yeah and the more i talk about it like i was all in on the almine camp because i love almine for all the reasons that you said uh and just his style of basketball is the most fun to watch probably mm-hmm. uh but now that I say all that, I'm like, wow, I re- actually really like Kuroko. Maybe he's my favorite character. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's he's a really great character. It's just, you know, if you make me pick and choose, you know, I'm sorry, but Kuroko has to sit out because um, he makes he makes a lot of these other players shine so so brightly. Yeah, I mean, if I so, did have to. Yes, there what? we go. Now, I was about to say. So, what about your non? generation of miracles person but right when i was about to say it it sounded like you were about to do it so i was like ah yes <laughs> yeah. yeah uh well i'll make that sound more seamless in this post um uh if i did have to choose someone who is not almine or kuroko uh i would go with uh murasaki bara who i just really enjoy as a character and i will get to the to the non-generation of miracles characters in a moment but uh his his character, uh, as like someone who does not care about basketball at all, to someone <laughs> who is crying over losing a basketball game, was just uh, just incredible. I don't know if any of the other Generation of Miracles went through quite that intense of a transformation, and uh, watching that happen in combination with the fact that I just uh, very much like and appreciate defense in any sport uh, is something that I just really enjoyed to watch. He's also the foodie of the, the series. Yeah. <laughs> Always eat, snacking on something. <laughs> uh, yeah, but as far as the non-generation of miracles, um, man, that's a hard question. I was not prepared for this. Look at what you did. <laughs> but you're the one who wrote the question down. <laughs> well, I was just thinking of characters in general, not non-generation of miracles characters. Oh. Yeah, I don't have the same. Uh, uh, what am I trying to say? I'm the same uh, affection for Hugo as you do. Um, I mean, I like him a lot, but it's not one of my favorite characters. I would, I wouldn't say. I do like Izuki, and uh, as well as Kako, I like the eye power. I like the idea of uh, knowing everything that's happening on the court and being able to uh, anticipate anything that's about to happen. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, and then I also like Kiyoshi, of course. He's just, he's very lovable, isn't he? 
Yes, he is. Yeah. Kiyoshi is very, very lovable. Which, I, before we move away from the characters, I want to take a moment and say that they're, the coach of Seirin, Rico, is amazing. Um, like, we, with all these male characters and that you, you spend so much time with them, that's where, like, basically everybody's, like, they're my favorite character. Uh, but Rico is a second-year female student who is the coach of the Seirin basketball team. And even though Kuroko is able to, to bring out the best in the other players, this team would be nothing without her. Um, she's incredible, and I just want to make sure that people know that, that she is not a female character who simply exists. Uh, she is a really good character, um, but she does get outshined, unfortunately. But I don't think there's a bad character in this fucking series. No, not really. Like, everybody is so good. It's just, it's really a matter of weighing, you know, who's gooder in someone's opinion. Mm -hmm. And you have obvious characters that are like, well, they're obviously not as good as other people. But yeah. everybody is so good. Like, Furuhata, this poor child, Hatsiring, so so scared and terrified all the time. <laughs> Bring him out as, like, the super secret weapon, and that's just because he's terrified out of his mind. He throws off everybody's rhythm. <laughs> Like it, everybody is just is just really good. This is this is a series that if you like characters, you're gonna you're gonna walk away just beaming with possibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh man, all the Crocus characters so good. Um. So, uh, Chris, there are a lot of games throughout this uh, throughout this series. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Wait, I think we saw all those. Uh, six, oh, we eight, saw everything. Three, four, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. There are about twenty games in this entire series, I believe. Uh, do you have any favorites? Any? I don't oh, yeah. least favorites. That's boring. What are your favorites? <laughs> My absolute favorite is the second game with Almine. Um, you know, for the reasons that Almine is my favorite Miracle Generation character, the the character arc he goes through, and that is that's it. The second game in season two. Because uh, they fight the first time in season three or in season one, um, and then they go to the Winter Cup in season two and they they rematch. That is, that's incredible. Um, that's that's really where um, Kagami is able to handle the zone better. It was kind of like a fluke in the first game against Almine, but now Kagami is able to enter the zone of will and that Kagami it's got the visual of him bursting open the door to go to the next level of the zone so Almine goes to the next level of the zone they're drowning like the visualization of them going into the zone and going deeper inside themselves um, that's where Almine starts pulling out the super insane moves because he gets more intense um, basically so Almine's like whole negative personality throughout um, up to this second game is that he is so fucking good at basketball that he finds the game boring because there's nobody out there that's good enough to actually challenge him. Mm -hmm. uh, in the first game against Seirin, um, he finds in Kagami someone who actually like makes him try, but it, it turns out that he only made Kagami try a little bit. That in the end, Almine was not able to really push himself to where he could try to become better and he was fighting to, to win. Um, in the second game, Kagami becomes so good. Um, and then you have Kuroko with his, uh, like, spirit dash shot or whatever the hell they called it. Um, uh, ignite pass? 
ignite no not the ignite pass the 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 shoot the phantom shot phantom shot yeah um that that almine is actually able to push himself so you finally see almine not just reaching his true potential to where you see how good he is but you see him reaching um for that desperation so the the style of his play and the animation and sorry not the animation because we're in the manga <laughs> <laughs> the, the 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 way that he plays the physics defining that all of that just becomes so intense um I, I got the most satisfaction at the uh, through and to the end of that game like that whew, that's that's the shit um yeah. second place would go to the final game against akashi's team Mm-hmm. Uh, because that's that's such a crazy like it that, that game keeps twisting and tur- and turning like the way that it develops the different players they bring in you really don't know what the hell is going to happen in that game and it it brings out so many emotions in all the players and you really watch Sayrin struggle and and unlock their potential. So the, the final game against Akashi is a very good second, but nothing can beat that second Almine game for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was incredible. Um, what about you, buddy? It's getting good. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, uh, given my previous answer about characters, uh, I think I have to go with the Yosan and Sarian game. Uh, it's like the... It's the lowest scoring game that I can see, uh, that I can see around here. It was only 73 to 72. Of course, we don't see, uh, we don't see the game in the same way that we would see an NBA game. So we don't see the, uh, the difference in, um, in scores, uh, or in shocks per minute, I should say. Uh, but all of the emotions running in that game, uh, between Kagami and, uh, let's see, I looked it up. Taxia Himuro, who is uh, his um, brother figure back in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, between them, Kagami trying to uh, ditch the fact that they were so closely, re- uh, closely. Mm, what am I trying to say? Just know, any words. They were so close yeah. to each other. Yeah, since it's, because they were so close to each other, uh, he's trying to push that away because he wants to be able to beat him. Uh, but really, like the same way that. Kagami, Seirin, uh have the friendly rivalry with Shutoku and Midorima. He should have that friendly rivalry, rivalry with Himuro, and he doesn't really realize that. Uh, Kuroko, like the whole time, is trying to beating to his head that he should realize this, but it doesn't really work. <laughs> and then uh, Mugusaki Bara going from the kind of the same place that uh, Akashi and Aomine were, that he doesn't want to. Um, or he thinks he's better than everyone except for the Miracle Generation. So he doesn't want to practice, he doesn't want to do any work. But in this one, he realizes that there are people better than him that can beat him, uh, despite his height. And uh, he just really gets into the game. He pulls his hair back, which is the best part of the anime ever, and the manga. <laughs> like, like that's it, It's like when Goku goes Super Saiyan and his hair goes golden. Yeah. And it's, and it's like, but except... <laughs> For Saki Bar, he just pulls it back with the rubber band, and it's like, oh, shit! Yep. He's the greatest uh, in the series <laughs> in terms of, like, minor in-game. That really doesn't mean anything, but it actually means everything. <laughs> yeah. I loved that Yosin game. Um, but, you know, I liked all those uh, points that you make about the Toho game. Um, I liked the moments. I don't remember when this happens. I think it was the actually the Rakuzan game where Kagami is like, 
No, no, it's not in the Rocket Zone. Whatever game it is, where Kagami is trying to forcibly break through into the zone, and it's not really working at all, because you can't just break into the zone, and Almine is just sitting in the stands being like, you idiot, you can't just break into the zone. I think that was the... It was either the Cheater team or Kisei's team. Hmm. Kaisho? Yeah. What, what, what was the Cheater team? Murus, uh Daichi something? Kurosaki uh, Daichi. Yep. Cheater That's team. Right. Fuck those people. That was... That was the worst. <laughs> There's no worst game. I kind of love that game still. <laughs> oh, uh, man. I love Kuroko's. There's a lot of adversity they overcome. Um, oh, we didn't mention this, but they they have first an Inter High. That's kind of the summer tournament. They uh, eventually they beat Shutoku to get into it, but then they eventually lose to... Um, Toho. Toho, yeah. Um, that's very sad. For them, uh, yeah. So, yeah. So the the, fir- the first uh, main arc, I think it's it's up to volume ten in the manga. I I keep thinking in terms of the anime. It's the first season. Is them trying to get into the summer inter high and mm-hmm. and failing. Yeah. So they they finally get to the finals or the final bracket of the summer inter high. They lost to Toho, and then everything is riding on the Winter Cup, uh, which is obviously in the winter because. Um, Kiyoshi has an injury that he will only be able to play this year, and then he needs to get surgery, so he needs to uh, win this Winter Cup, uh, or else like they they won't be able to play with them anymore. Next, very sad. So yeah, there, there's a, it's a huge subplot between Tepe and Hyuga. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very, very sad and very moving and very yes, good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> words. Running out of words here. Uh, got favorite players we got favorite games uh do you have anything else chris you want to ask anything any questions hard-hitting questions about kuroko's basketball <laughs> um does momoi really love kuroko or is she really all about almine the, the, the burning questions that always last in my mind uh hmm you know i think she does love kuroko more uh or like romantically love momoi and Almine seem to be a uh, sibling kind of love, and she cares for him and worries about him in that way. But it never feels romantic. I mean, nothing in this manga feels uh, extremely romantic uh, in terms of, or in comparison to, like, a Jojo. But, you know, the bag is especially not very romantic, I think, Momoi and Almine. So, uh, I just... I'm just, I just I just flipped open like the last omnibus volume and I'm just looking at some of these panels and th- th- this is my favorite sports anime um, where I, I know Yopeta like it keeps wanting to be my favorite but every time I look at anything Kuroko's my my whole heart just swells up there's uh, no uh, crap what's his face uh, Miko sushi in Kuroko's basketball Chris I I know but I, I just I look at Kuroko's and it, it does something to me. Um, it's 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 pure magic. Um, like for you, you know, because I, I keep mentioning it over and over again. Like this is such a very special series for me. Um, I don't want you to like really like feel the pressure like to rank it amongst all of the sports <laughs> series. But is it just me or is there just something s- super special about this? It, it, does it affect you in that way? Is it your one, two, three favorite or is it just like, no, it's a really good shonen sports anime and I'm just insane. No, I think you're right on target. Um, among all of the sports anime that I've watched, Kuroko would probably be top five. Uh 
But it's top five in a different way than uh, some of the other ones. Like ping pong is definitely up there, and it doesn't it doesn't have the same uh, stylistic. Well, it has a different kind of same or a different kind of stylistic animation on it, but it doesn't have like same kind of unique uh, stylistic animation. I think uh, I, f- I feel like you can find something similar to Kuroko's in a different shonen sports anime. Yeah. Or a different shonen anime, not necessarily sports anime. Um, but, like, the way that Kuroko is just so easily digestible and so easily uh, excitable in that it excites the, the watcher, the reader, um, it's just something that I don't really see that often. Like, the old Pega King can get me, get me going, um... I don't know if it can get me going as much as Kuroko. Yeah, yeah. And and, and so, like, we, we've talked about how the manga doesn't have all those embellishments. I don't think we re- we really quite re- nailed it down. Do, does the manga suffer, in your opinion, from not being as crazy as the anime? We said that mm. we're as big of fans of it, of the series, because we saw the anime first. But does the manga truly suffer, like, if someone was to just read the manga? Because that's... You know, the the anime is still legally available in America on thanks to Crunchyroll, but if Crunchyroll's license ever expires, poof, it's gone from this country in a in a legal manner. Yep. Um, meanwhile, the the manga is completed in print, with the exception of the last game two volume sequel, which goddamn it, Miz, give me that fucking one volume, <laughs> one omnibus book. That's all you need, um, or digitally, um, you can you can get this manga and read it. Um, and you will be able to for quite a while. If someone was to only read the manga because they listen to this podcast, like, are they really getting a lesser experience, in your opinion? You know, that's a really hard question. Uh, I don't know if I can answer it. Um, I don't know if I can answer it fully because I've never been in a situation where I can say I've read the manga but I have not watched the anime. In every case, I watched the anime version of it before I read the manga version of it. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, the answer. in my opinion, I, I, I think the answer is no, but there's the, the anime is just because it's wild and wacky um, because of the animation. I think that's where it really gets me. I think for people that that don't that, that are maybe turned off by those aspects, it, the, the manga is still so extremely strong. There's no there, there's nothing that's added story wise into the anime or anything. It's just. This is one of those perfect manga for me, and the anime just happens to have an extra little bit of little bit of spice on mm-hmm. it. Um, it. It is really tough, but I, I really think that people can just go in in with this manga and be happy. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry, I'm getting all weepy. I'm just staring <laughs> at this volume. Like it ended in December. I read it. I read the last omnibus volume the the Thursday after it came out because the volumes came out come out on Tuesdays. I read it on Thursday, and it's just. I feel a sadness because there's no more for me to look forward to, and I can just reread it over and over again. But it's just you got that last game a, manga looking forward to. Yeah, this is it's a special series, and I really think I really want people to to enjoy it. Yeah, same, same. Um, let's see, I don't know if Kuroko's was like one of the impetus to for me to make this podcast at all, and I just not talked about it until uh, or I talked about it really in depth until just now. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when you first started it. Um, you were Chihirafuru is all you all you ever wanted, and I've been yelling since like at least when you were recording episode two. Kuroko, Kuroko, Kuroko. 
Um, but yeah, it is kind of amazing that it took this long to really try to dive into it. And we're trying to not make this episode forever long. Corey's got to take off here in a little bit, but we can do part twos and threes. I, we can talk about very yeah. specific sections. I can go on and on. Yeah. I think we can do seasons after this. Seasons of Iroko. Yeah. It's like one that'd every be, quarter. That'd be so good. All right. Uh, well, Chris, any uh, all-encompassing final thoughts about Kuroko's basketball before we close this out? It's everything you love about shonen manga better. I, I just, no, I, I can't, I can't, I'll just say the same thing over and over again. This is, I love it. It's great. Yep. I also love it. Uh, if you want a series that is uh, pretty realistic about the um, the basketball abilities of people, of things that real people can do, uh, Kuroko's is sick. Like, I don't know, besides Midoriya, uh, I don't know anything that they do that uh, real NBA basketball players can't do. Yeah, yeah, and so I, I think we I, I think we talked about it in the last game podcast. But for people who haven't listened to to that one, um, people will say that it's like D, it's it's basketball Dragon Ball Z that it's this crazy unrealistic thing. But no, it's actually super hyper realistic, um, and the manga shows that better without um, animation embellishments to make it look cool. Mm-hmm. Like these these aren't impossible things. Like yes, it's impossible for someone to be as good at shooting three pointers as Mitarima, but shooting three pointers like Mitarima is not far fetched. It's right. not impossible um, to do the shots that Almine does. It's not impossible to do them every time that good. Sure, that's um, <laughs> and to cop- copy exactly as Kisei does. That's also impossible. But like anything Kisei does is like actually does not the copying uh, is within reason. Yeah, we were going to do a panel for Otakon that was basically just Ace of Diamond and Kuroko's Basketball, where we take clips from each of the anime series and mm. show these things actually happening in real-life basketball and baseball. Yep. Um, it got declined, which is fine, because I would have dropped the ball and fucked up my p- <laughs> part of trying to make the panel. Um, but this is just one of those series that it sounds crazy, and people will say it's crazy, but it's very realistic. Yep. It just looks cool. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, yeah, I love Kuroko. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Right, well, uh, Chris, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on the Twitters, at Gokufi. Uh, you can also find me at Letterboxd, at Gokufi, if you care to um, <laughs> join in my adventures in watching the most weirdest movies ever. Um, and that's and that's really it. Um, I haven't done anything new or special except for go to Otakon by the time you hear this. Yeah. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at CompassionateK. You can find the podcast on Twitter at Taiku Podcast. That's T-A-I-I-K-U. And you can find uh, all of our episodes at TaikuPodcast.com and on Apple Podcasts. Uh, if you want us anywhere else, let me know. Uh, and I'll figure out how to do that. But until then, I'll just leave it on Apple Podcasts and hope that's good enough for everybody else. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. Goodbye, Chris.
<laughs> and it's universal. But Chris, apparently, I, I I bumped my mouse that was hovering over the, the mute button. <laughs> okay. What what did I say that you last heard? Uh, apparently. What would I say before that? <laughs> I don't remember. Start um, at the beginning. I don't I don't know. If if you don't know what the last words I said were. <laughs> <laughs>